One good thing that happened to me during the pandemic was to consider restarting my podcast, which I stopped after five episodes in 2016. Stuck at home with time on my hand, I wanted to put the microphone I bought for a better Zoom meeting experience to more use. I tried recording the podcast via Zoom, but it wasn't good. The sound quality was less than ideal, and any intermittent connection issues made it worse. Fortunately, I found Zencaster, a dedicated platform for virtual audio and video podcast recording. It provides crystal clear sounds, which is recorded locally before being pushed to the cloud. This way, you don't have to worry about any inherent connection issues that may disrupt your audio quality. And if you wish to do video, it allows you to record in gorgeous 1080p HD. The best tool is useless if it is too complicated. Zencaster resides on the web and there is nothing to download. If you know how to use the browser, you would know how to use Zencaster. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. If you go to zen.ai slash agenttan and enter the promo code agenttan, you'll get 30% off your first three months. That's zen.ai slash agenttan. It's time to share your story. How often do you read interviews about what it's like to be a man in business or technology? I'm guessing never. That we still ask women what it's like is indicative of the major strides we need to take in order to create a more equal working world. In fact, studies indicate that the workplace is still a masculine space that values more masculine traits and modes of thinking. If a woman is to get ahead, she's supposed to lean in and be like a man, at least according to Sheryl Sandberg the former COO at Meta and author of Lean In, Woman, Work and the Will to Lead. But is leaning in really the answer? Does it make you more likely to succeed? In today's podcast, my guest will share her experience in how she managed to balance the needs at work and at home to achieve success in both spectrum, which allow her to scale the career ladder at Job Street to become their Singapore's managing director. In her role, Sumi is responsible for leading and driving the business growth and operations while building on the company's success and presence throughout the Southeast Asia region. A veteran in the recruitment industry, Sumi has over two decades of rich experience, all of them dedicated to growing and nurturing Job Street. With an in-depth understanding of organizational structure and coupled with manpower-related decision-making practices, she has helped transform the recruitment journey of companies across the board. Under her leadership, Job Street Singapore has grown 15 folds and has successfully undergone digital transformation. She now leads a team of 100 employees whom she worked closely with to drive accelerated business growth. Hi, Sumi. Welcome to the show. Hi, Adrian. It's really nice to join you today. Could you help the audience to better understand a bit about yourself, your history, and what you've been up to? Yeah, sure. In a nutshell, I'm a wife a mother of my 18-year-old son, and also the managing director of Job Street Singapore. In fact, I joined Job Street more than 20 years ago. And at the point of time, internet recruitment was still in its early stage. And I thought it would be really great to be able to join a tech company. I was interviewed by the founder of Job Street and got hired as the key account manager. And that was how I started my career with Job Street. In that role, in fact, I learned and picked up a lot of commercial and customer-facing experiences. And those experiences have become the key enabler for my subsequent roles across different verticals. And interestingly, over the last 15 years, I have advanced from a key account manager to a team leader, sales manager, regional manager, and head of sales and ops. Subsequently, 
I stepped into the role of a country sales manager, supervising both the Job Street as well as Job CP brands when the merge under SIP in 2014. A few years later, I landed on my current role, the MD of Job Street. Wow, that's an amazing trajectory. And I, I honestly cannot recall offhand any other lady that I can think of that actually has spent such a track within a single company and of course to rise up the ranks to one of the top honchos within the organization. For the ladies, I have here stories of things like the kind of additional frictions, the kind of imposed glass ceiling, so to speak. That also part of your personal experience and I think importantly for the listeners out there who may also be ladies, they'll be very curious about how you manage to navigate that given that not many one would be able to do it successfully. You obviously have done it successfully. What are some of the tips and tricks that you may have for us? I guess on that note, right, it's on two fronts. First of all, it begins with myself, right? What do I want to do with my career? How do I want to pursue in my career pathways and so forth? So determination and perseverance remain key. And it has a lot to do sometimes the limitation comes from self-constraint. So on that part, we make sure that we take both steps and role model change, right? It's, it's the mindset, it's the initiatives, and it's also the optimism part of what we can achieve as individual. On the other front, I am also very fortunate enough landing with my current employers, that is Job Street and Underseek. And this organization, in fact, is a very diverse organization. So very fortunately, all of us, in fact, each one, each and every one of us, right? Regardless of gender or regardless of age and regardless of um, work experiences. Each and every one of us is given a level playing field to succeed. And end of the day, it's actually nearly both friends, yourself and the company that you are working with. And Job Street slash Seek or have obviously been around for quite some time. And when you first joined them, it would be a very different organization altogether from a Malaysian company, if I'm not wrong to part of Australian-based listed company. How has diversity evolved since day one versus how it is today? In fact, over here, right, I would like to comment based on the macro scene, right? Because my first role was with a different company. So basically, let's say, let me put the, the trajectory in place. Actually, I took my first corporate job before year 2000. And I just imagine at the part of time, there was still a little, like, Still very little awareness and focus on diversity. And our society today actually has changed, especially in the last 10 to 15 years, it has become much more aware of diversity. And just imagine, right, in Singapore context today, in fact, they are encouraging signs of increased diversity in the workplace. For example, if we look at the data standpoint, female representation on the boards has also improved from about 10% six to seven years ago to around 20% today. And uh, next, when we look at the employment landscape at the macro level, just imagine, right, Singapore is experiencing a growing population issue. So the unemployment, the employment rate of mature workers has become the focus. And the great part is actually when we look at the data, for those ages 50 to 64, their employment rates has actually increased from 64% back in 2010 to about 71% in 2020. So we have seen a lot of optimism there. That said, there are still a lot of opportunities for all of us to pay way together to reap the benefits of diversity. For example, because job share in the way, we have a very broad and rich data, so I can share some of the insights with all of you. So just 
take a look at the representation of female when it comes to junior, senior, and emerging role, right? The kind of distribution. So for entry-level roles, the distribution for shortlisted female and male, in fact, it was quite even. However, as the patient level advances, female representation has declined accordingly. Whereas when we look at senior manager positions, only about 3% of the total shortlisted candidates were female. As we are all aware, in view of uh, digitalization, so on and so forth, more emerging and IT roles have been created as well. That said, representation of female in the tech sector remains a challenge. For example, when we look at IT-related roles, female today only accounted for less than 10% of the total shortlisted or higher candidates. So when we review all the numbers that I have mentioned, obviously, there are great opportunities to bring more women back to more senior level role or bring more women to the tech sector. So we're talking about role model, role modeling change, uh, change today. As it is right now, especially for the tech sector example that you mentioned, do you think it's more of a demand thing or more of a supply thing or a combination of both? Talking about the tech scene, definitely is a lot to do with a lot more vacancies out there today. You just imagine, right, the macro scene, uh, a lot of, we heard a lot about transformation, automation, digitalization, so and so forth. So with the major shift in terms of the employment ecosystem, in a nutshell, employers, who would like to pave way towards the tech future, they need to start hiring those roles and put those roles in place. So therefore, for a simpler understanding, there are a lot of tech-related roles in the marketplace today. Whereas in Singapore, actually, we, are, we have been experiencing labor short, especially in the tech sector. So that is a bit of stretch and struggle now in the marketplace. And I do recall reading somewhere that even at the university admission level, the percentage of male versus female, the percentage of male is overwhelming, which obviously would also tell you based on graduation, you have such a limited pool of ladies that would go into the workforce and of course work in the tech scene on a very uh, tech-centric roles that is. But I, I want to take a step back to touch a bit more on the diversity aspects here. I do understand personally the benefits behind it. And of course, as you mentioned, time has changed, viewpoints have changed. But interestingly, yesterday I had a conversation and I was speaking with a guy and he still has this notion, which is something that I've heard of during the early 2000s. Oh, if I were to hire, I don't hire ladies. If they go on maternity, how? You know, that, that kind of stories. I'm, I, I was having a face palm moment when I hear that. But maybe for him specifically and also for the uninitiated, could you help educate us the key benefit and the tangibles when you are able to or when you are willing to achieve diversity? What is the kind of tangible benefits that a company can actually get? When it comes to diversity, that is evidence that company diversity leads to a better profit. So it means that a well-diverse company, usually they will be able to optimize their productivity a lot better. So just imagine different people with different perspectives, diverse opinion. And together, all of us, we have broader views. And usually the best companies are diverse because they have diverse thinking and also it comes with diverse ideas. And diversity promotes creativity and innovation. And uh, it has also enhanced cross-learning opportunities and provide for better decision-making. So all that I have mentioned were definitely inserting a lot of tangible 
benefits and upsets to any organization in terms of improving productivity and profitability of the businesses. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Special thanks to Zencaster for sponsoring today's episode. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Zencaster's all-in-one web-based solution makes the process quick and painless, the way it should be. I'm obsessed with quality and Zencaster delivers crystal clear audio and stunning HD video. Not to mention that it's easy to use even for my less tech-savvy guests. There's nothing to download. They simply click on the link and begin recording. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience as simple as possible. You don't have to leave your browser to finish the episode because the tool includes everything from local recording to automatic post-production. Take the next step in your podcasting journey. Go to zen.ai slash adriantan and enter the promo code adriantan and you'll get 30% off your first three months. That's zen.ai slash adriantan and remember to enter in the promo code adriantan at checkout. It's time to share your story. So there are definitely a lot of tangibles that people can focus on. I think just like everything in life, there are always pros and cons to any selection, every choice that you have. But if you just focus on the cons and not so much on the pro, you basically miss out everything and you, you wouldn't be able to get the benefits that come with it. Moving on, I also want to touch on the fact that obviously for people like yourself who wish to balance a career with motherhood, it always appears to be somewhat of a handicap. In my previous career in recruitment, even during outplacement, I've seen many return to work mother, really, especially those who decide to take lengthy sabbatical. I remember there was this lady I was speaking with, she took a year off so that she can help the kid with PSLE. I'm not sure what the kid score for PSLE, but I hope it was worth it. But when she returned, it was quite a struggle to get back into the workforce. Having said that, it was a different time. Employer was a bit more choosy. Oh, you one year break, you're rusty, that kind of stuff. But going back to your own experience, what, how was it like trying to strike a balance between high-powered career, climbing up the professional career ladder, as well as trying to balance the and, and be a good mother to the kids that you have? That's really a very great question, right? So, in fact, based on my personal experience, I think a strike the balance between work and family, right, in fact, isn't as hard as we thought. For family matters, in fact, I may be slightly more fortunate. I have a great partner and we usually get things discussed, work on shared parenting and household responsibilities really hard. So, in a nutshell, we do not draw a very clear line on those responsibilities, but what we have a com but it's key for us to have a common understanding that anyone can chip in when needed. Things that I think I can do better, I usually will chip in and contribute. For instances, I guide my son on his Mandarin, whereas my hobby is his chess coach. What about work? At work, as usual, there are plenty of tasks on our plate every day. Therefore, prioritization is key. We have to ask ourselves a lot of key questions here, right? Is there anything that can be spaced out accordingly? On next, knowing that less is more, right? So what can be removed? That is also another essential question. So typically, list down the top four to five key priorities and focus on driving the outcome has worked really well for us. Most importantly, build our team. With the right level of resource, we can dedicate and empower a lot more. So all the above actually has enabled me to balance my family and work responsibilities really well. 
I, I like the last part about delegation because ultimately that is one of the options for people manager to look at. But in certain instances, which I managed to observe, fortunately or unfortunately, there are certain people who are more of micromanagement. And when I look at them and I know that they have kids in my mind, I'm like if you micromanage people in an office in that manner, I wonder how is it like to be your kid. But I think that is the key thing, right? To really delegate. And of course, in delegation, I would believe culture will play a big part. I read a book on culture and there was an anecdote within it, which a CEO said when he first started out, he was just micromanaging because that's how he thinks he can get things done. But as the company scale larger and larger, he realized micromanagement is impossible. You can micromanage maybe three to five people, but you try to micromanage 30 to 50 people, it is not possible at all. So instead of micromanaging, he started to emphasize on culture because culture can scale. Is that also something that you and the company actually play an active part in? And what are some of the ways that you have seen that actually really benefited the rest in the way you guys actually build your culture? Yeah, when we talk about culture as sick, in fact, over here is a very open culture. We prioritize a lot of delivering a good environment for our people, right? And uh, not to forget about a level playing field for everyone to be involved, to be part of that journey as well. Throughout the process, I think empowerment is something that we definitely will continue to work on. Because uh, based on my experience, when you empower people more, you establish trust, right? We trust people can excel a lot better. So I totally agree with what you mentioned just now. Micromanaging, the, especially the Gen Y and Gen Z won't work. Yeah, because the younger generation, basically, especially in the tech sector, they need a lot of empowerment and trust. Yeah, so this is part and parcel of the culture we want to build here and we will continue to build here. And in fact, those cultures over here, we think that resonate really well with the next level of generation. Yeah, the empowerment is one thing. Delegation is another thing. I, based on my experience, when we empower more, people are a lot more motivated and things can scale a lot faster and speedier as well. So eventually the productivity will improve and the staff retention can also improve accordingly. And you mentioned about the younger generation, the millennials, which also got me thinking, given your 23 years in the same company, you obviously have seen different generations the ones that were in senior position when you first joined to maybe they're already out of the company, retired, or maybe taking on a more senior role, I'm not sure. But definitely you have seen a wide variety of generational stereotypes. How has your own approach to working in collaboration with them evolved and changed, especially given the fact that most companies right now, I, I would imagine at least 30%, would be staff with the Gen Z, the millennials. Has your approach evolved very from the compared to when you first started with jobs? Definitely, it has evolved clearly a lot, right? Especially like when we talk about the younger generation. First of all, we have to think about multiple dimensions, right? One is actually in our company, we really think about how to actually have a very diverse environment. We have very experienced people across multiple verticals, but we also want to bring in a very diverse group of people like Millennia and Gen Z, right? So that it looks very diverse across different uh, dimensions. And then with that in mind, uh, first of all, we need, really need to understand, right? How do we attract those people? So in fact, Job Street also has actually conducted a survey talking about what are some of the top priorities of millennia and what are some of the top priorities of Gen Z. In fact, when we really look at their priorities, uh, the top three usually 
are first of all talking about work-life balance, right? They want to work hard, they want to work smart, but they need a lot of flexibility. Let's say workplace flexibility is one of the top priorities today for the younger generation, right? And on the other note, they really look a lot upon having good tools to support them at work and make them more efficient, right? So that they can continue to work more effectively remotely. And not to forget about career progression as well. So the next batch of generation, in fact, aside from looking at the flexible mode of working, they are also looking at Excel towards what we call T-shape, right? Trying different roles at a different standpoint, at a different level, things like that. So they need to have a very flexible environment for them to excel, not just in one role, but across different type of roles. So by understanding the mind map of the younger generation, so we think that, yeah, we are able to attract more of them. And also at the same time, the collaboration is key because by understanding how to work with the Gen X, Gen Y and Gen Z in a very diverse environment, uh, those are the key success factors when it comes to when it comes to collaboration. So, yeah, this is um, the part that actually uh, we think that um, SIG has navigated really well. And you're spot on the T-shaped career because people are just so open-minded to trying different things. And with the penetration rate of the internet right now, you can just easily jump into anything you want to do. It can be a YouTuber, influence, which is quite uncommon during my time when anything outside of work will be considered moonlighting and you have all the moonlighting clause that touches on that. So yesterday when I was having a conversation, we also discussed about it. But So what was your personal opinion on this, given that we do acknowledge young people have the propensity to go into all these different stuff? Is something that the organization, or at least in your personal capacity, do you think is something that companies should be able to accept? Or versus, oh no, Moonlighting is still a strict no, which also happened recently in a couple of Indian companies. I can't remember the name, but one Indian company uh, actually fired 300 people because they found out all 300 of them were actually Moonlighting, which of course is debatable. Lah. But what is your personal thought on that? My personal thought of, of one life thing, right? I think the most importantly, it really boils down to your focus, right? Are you able to remain passionate, have the full energy, and also contribute effectively on your role? So I think that's the number one caution before even we talk about one life thing. So just imagine if the person really can have the capability to cope with a multiple dimension and without feeling tired, so and so forth, then potentially they can think about it. About, about moonlighting, right? On the light scale. But that's it, right? If just imagine if we already have challenges to cope with a main responsibility or full-time job, moonlighting may not appear as something that is very feasible because fundamentally, I guess, it's not about whether I should go for moonlighting or I shouldn't, right? So it's the question about are you able to really remain passionate and focused, especially on your current piece of work? So it's all about striking balance. Lah. Because I think if we take a step back and measure motherhood per se is a form of moonlighting. <laughs> Air quotes. So in a way, it's just a matter of trying to balance things out and make sure that you're able to hit your own target, your own deliverables on every aspect of your life. And of course, primarily the ones that pay the bills for you. Lah. Yeah. So with that, I think the last part that I want to really touch on is for companies that may be still new to DEI, but looking to take baby steps and really embark on this DEI journey. Are there any advice that you have for them? What are some baby steps they may want to consider first? The baby steps in a way can be just some 
very simple approach, right? Begin with like, when you start hiring, it's always start with sourcing for talent, right? With that journey pathway. I think it's important to remind ourselves, it's okay to, for certain roles, it's really okay to hire people from different age groups different experiences and different verticals, different upbringings and so forth. So I guess that type of mindset has to be ready. Yeah. Instead of a certain role, no matter how you want to, you want the candidate to come from specific vertical, specific industry, it has to come from the same industry. So it, it will actually has a lot of constraint for the company to build towards diversity. I think the very first step is like, when you start sourcing for talent, remain super open and agile. Usually people from different backgrounds, in my opinion, focus on the potential of the candidate, focus on the adaptability of the candidate, right? So as long as they are the fast learner and they are agile and flexible to adapt to changes and embrace changes, usually they can survive in any type of organization. And not to forget that people with a T-shape of people from different industries, they will be able to contribute So a very totally different friends as compared to your existing staff. So when we combine and marry both together, it will work clearly well for the organization. Thank you so much. And for listeners who may be in organization or even lead a role in trying to promote diversity, I hope that would be something that you can learn from. And before we let you go, where can people learn more about yourself as well as Job Street? There are plenty of sources they can refer to. They can visit Job Street website and we have a lot of insects on our pages and uh, career sources for their references as well. Next, they can also visit our social media pages and connect with us via Facebook and Instagram. All this will be added into the show notes. Sumi, thank you so much for coming onto the show today. Lovely speaking with you and to learn about your journey throughout the 23 years navigating from a junior staff all the way to the MD of Job Street. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as well. Thank you so much. Special shout out to today's sponsor, Zencaster. It may not be obvious, but every podcast episode usually comes with post-production. The ding, swoosh, fit in and outs are usually painstakingly added in by a professional sound engineer. The sound also requires normalization and noise reduction to provide listeners with the best listening experience. Before you grunt at spending money on sound engineering, you'll be pleased to know that all this can easily and quickly be done on Zencaster. It comes with a soundboard for live editing, so you can insert any audio clips live as you record. You can also add intro, add, and other audio on the fly. And with its automatic post-production feature, you can be assured of studio-quality sound with loudness normalization, noise, and hum reduction that makes your podcast sound like it was recorded in a studio. One transcript for your listeners, Zencaster's transcriptions are produced by their language modeling AI and proprietary machine learning tools that are on par with leaders such as Google Descript and Auto.ai. To enjoy all this, simply sign up for Zencaster by going to zen.ai slash adriantan and enter the promo code adriantan and you'll get 30% off your first three months. That's zen.ai slash adriantan and remember to enter in the promo code adriantan. It's time to share your story. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to more information about our guests and their businesses. If you enjoyed this podcast, it will be helpful to give a review on iTunes or follow me on Spotify. If you're using Overcast, please hit the star button under the episode. That will help get this episode and podcast out to more people who may find it useful. I'll see you in the next episode of The Agent Han Show.